hello, ho, hello. Welcome again to another episode of Lottie Talks. This is your host, Thomas Belcher, missionary to the U.S. Territory of Guam. And I am excited to be here with you guys today, as this is the uh, first, really, Word Wednesday of Season 2. And I'm just pumped to be here and share with you what God laid on my heart. It's going to be a small little de- devotional today. And uh, it's just been a blessing to get to serve the Lord and been a blessing to do this with you guys and spend some time with you today. If you're able to, turn with me in your Bible to Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him, and set him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Today we're going to be going over a uh, simple topic here, and that is the bitterness of sin. The bitterness of sin. Here in Esther chapter 3, we are introduced to the wicked man Haman. Uh, Esther remains one of my favorite books in the Bible, probably my favorite book in the Bible, as as you study the book of Esther, God is never once mentioned throughout the entire book, but the beautiful part of this story is that though God is not forefront and he's never mentioned in the story, you can see God's hand of protection throughout the entire uh, ordeal. It goes back to the principle of that, you know, sometimes in life we don't know, we can't see God here, we, can, we don't know God is in the situation, we can't tell that God is in the situation, but God is behind the scenes keeping us safe and paving the way for us to serve him. It just goes back to show that sometimes uh, God just likes to do things quietly, but even though he's quiet doesn't mean he's not doing anything. And that's just a, it's just a wonderful lesson to read about in the book of Esther, and it's evident throughout the entire book. But here we're introduced to Haman, this wicked man that He's very prideful, very arrogant, and he gets word from his little minions, I guess you could call him, uh, call them, that uh, Mordecai refuses to bow, that Mordecai will not bow to Haman. So Haman starts, this is really where the plot starts to be devised, where Haman decides, okay, well, I want to get I want to get Mordecai, Mordecai back, and as most of everybody here listening today knows, the story goes that uh, Haman uh, decides to build the gallows, he decides to, he gets the king to sign out a decree saying, hey, on this certain day, all the Jews in the entire kingdom are going to be wiped out. Those events start right here in this time, but I want to focus on something that uh, I did a little bit of studying on, and it Lord really used it to speak to my heart on a few issues, and I think it could be a blessing to somebody listening today, was look back with me in these uh, these uh, verses again. Look back with me 
in verse number one, I believe it is. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the, what's that next word? Agagite. Agagite. Now, you uh, Bible scholars listening today, you already know where I'm going with this. But, for some reason, I never drew the conclusion as to what an Agagite was. I kind of just glossed over it, said, oh, well, that's what Haman was. Um, but Haman is different. Haman himself is an Agagite. You know what that is? An Agagite is a descendant of King Agag of the Amalekites. Remember him? Remember him back in the book of Samuel when Saul uh, was sent in to wipe out the Amalekites and he didn't do it? He saved King Agag alive and didn't slay him when he was told to do it. And then uh, Samuel had to come in and slay Agag and literally chop the man to pieces. Yeah, apparently Agag was not the only one that Saul let live. Clearly he let some of Agag's children live, and it resulted in the wicked man Haman. So today I want to look at a few things today, and I want to look at... uh, two men in the Bible concerning this, uh, you realize we Christians don't consider the lasting effects of sin in our lives. You realize it was the sin of Saul that led to Haman being around in the book of Esther. Had Saul done what he was told to do, Haman would never have been around in the first place. The book of Esther would be completely different. My goodness, had he done and obeyed the word of the Lord, the entire Old Testament would be different. A bunch of things would be different, but Saul didn't, and he didn't consider the lasting effects of his sin. So today I want to look at two people, just two people, uh, just two examples, and two people whose sin led directly to the events of Haman and Esther, and whose sin caused the people of Israel to suffer later on. Now, God did deliver the people of Israel in the book of Esther. He did do that. But had these two people done what was right in the first place, the people of Israel and Esther would never have had to suffer in the first place. So let's look today. If you're able to look with me in Genesis chapter 26, verses 30 through 33. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. The first person we're going to look at is Esau, and the sin that he committed was the sin of turning down God's will. He turned down the will of God. And we're very familiar with the story of Esau, where he gives his birthright to his brother Jacob, and uh, all for a bowl of food. I don't know about you, but uh, here in this, uh, here in the scripture, he says, I am at the point to die. I don't know about you, but I've never been that hungry before. I don't know what he was doing. I imagine he had just come back from hunting and had just come back from working, but apparently he was so famished he was about to die. Um, not exactly sure what kind of work he was doing, but I've never once been that hungry. But in doing so, he ends up agreeing with the deal that Jacob made and gives him his birthright. Now, what is this birthright? 
this birthright, once again, I never really, uh, reading scripture, I never really paid much attention to the birthright. I understood that that meant that he was supposed to, um, that the, he was supposed to fulfill the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. But the birthright, there's so much more to it. The birthright was power. The birthright was control. The birthright, whoever had the birthright meant that they were going to gain a controlling interest of everything that their father had. That promise, that Abrahamic covenant, yes, you can say, oh, well, it was uh, the fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, let's actually stop and think of what that covenant meant. It meant that the children of Abraham, the people that were going to be countless as the sand on the sea, were going to be descendants of Esau. By right, they were going to be Esau's descendants. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to be a descendant of Esau. He was going to lead directly into that. Esau was the foundation. He was part of the foundation. He was meant to be part of the foundation for the children of Abraham. But as we can see here, what was clearly God's will in his life, if it, ha if it wasn't God's will in his life, then he would not have been the firstborn. But that was God's will, was that Esau take the birthright and lead the children of Abraham. Guess what he does with it? He turns it away. He gives it away to Jacob for a bowl of pottage. Uh, soup, or however which way you want to say that. Seriously, though? You would turn down the will of God for food? That's like saying I would turn down being a pastor for a bucket of KFC chicken. I mean, yeah, the chicken's pretty good at the time, but why would I do that? Why would I turn down the perfect will of God just for a bunch of food? It doesn't make any sense. But that's what sin does. Sin seems good at first, feels good at first, tastes good at first, but in the end, it doesn't make any sense, and it costs us more, than, uh, more to commit sin than what we would have had to pay for just doing right. That's what sin does. But here, he, he blatantly turns away, from this, uh, turns away from the will of God in his own life, and it ends up costing him. Not just costing him, but costs the people of, Is, uh, costs the people of Israel in the book of Esther. Because look with me, look with me in Genesis 36:12. I'm not going to read the verse, but this is where Esau's grandson is born. Guess who Esau's grandson is? You guessed it. Amalek. Esau, Esau's descendant, Esau's grandson, is Amalek himself. Amalek, who would father the, children, the Amalekites and lead to strife with the children of Israel. You realize the Amalekites were one of the biggest, were one of the sworn enemies of Israel in the Old Testament. They were one of these sworn enemies, and they were born out from Esau because Esau turned down the will of God in the first place. Had Esau not done that, uh, who knows, the entire story of Amalek probably would have been different, and Haman would never have happened. The children of Abraham would never have gone through so many strifes in the, in the Old Testament as they did trying to take out the Amalekites. Saul would never have been commanded to take out the Amalekites in the first place. None of that would have happened. Agag would never have even been an issue. Who knows? 
King Agag may have been the king of king of Israel. I say Israel, but you know what I mean. But all of that happened. All that pain and suffering later on in the children of Abraham's lives happened because Esau turned down the will of God. He turned away from it and decided to do his own thing. We've got many Christians today that do that same thing. Many Christians think that the will of God is only for a pastor or missionary or somebody who's fully surrendered to full-time Christian service. That There's no bigger lie out there than that. Well, maybe there's a few bigger lies, but that is a huge lie. The will of God is meant for every born-again Christian. If you are a born-again Bible, if you are a born-again Christian, saved by the blood of the Lamb, saved by Jesus Christ, sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, guess what? The will of God is for you, and you are commanded to be in the will of God. What's God's will in our lives? Well, His basic will is simple. Read your Bible, walk with Him every day, see people saved, go to church, help, in, help out in whatever capacity you can. God's will in your life may not be for you to go be a preacher may not be for you to be a missionary, a pastor, or an evangelist. It may be for you to be a godly doctor, a godly lawyer, a godly politician. Heaven help us, we need those around. But that may be God's will in your life for you to be, a, a, to, for you to be in the secular world and be godly, to be a good witness to people out in the world, to be a good layman. You know, my dad... He was never called to preach. He never was. But you know what? He's been a good layman in every church he's been in. He's helped out in whatever capacity he could be. He could help out in. He's witnessed to whoever he could. But he's been a good layman. And he's fulfilled the will of God in his life time and time again. I'm called to preach. I'm not called to go into the military like my dad was. I'm not called to be a lab tech at a hospital like my dad is. But that's the will of God in his life. The will of God in his life is to be a good, godly lab tech at the hospital. The will of God in my life is to be a preacher, to be a missionary to the U.S. territory of Guam, to see people saved, um, baptized, and discipled for Christ. That's God's will in my life. Many are called, but few are chosen. The will of God may be different. In all, the will of God is different in all of our lives. But don't be ashamed to be a godly doctor, a, god, a godly uh, mechanic. Don't be ashamed to be that. It's when we turn down the will of God in our lives uh, that we sin. Turning away God's will in our life is nothing but sin. What does the Bible say? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. If you know what the will of God is in your life and you are turning it down, you are in sin. That goes for every single Christian out there. If a Christian is out of the will of God, they are in sin. They need to make things right, ask the Lord for forgiveness, and get back in the will of God. It's as simple as that. But here, this is what Esau has gone into. Esau got out of the will of God by turning down the will of God. And it caused nothing but sin and strife for him and the rest of the children of Abraham. I ask again, how many things could have been different had Esau just done what was right in the first place? Because of what Esau does here, the children of Israel end up having to pay for this in the book of Exodus. Chapter 17, I believe. When the Amalekites attack the Israelites from behind in a very cowardly way, 
And it's very interesting to study the, uh, to actually go back and to study the history about that and to study the actual battle that happened there. But not only did they attack from the rear, but they mutilated the bodies as they, as they went. Very cowardly tactic. The Israelites had to stand and fight. And they fought. And at the end of the chapter, they de- God declares, hey, they are now your enemy. You are supposed to slaughter them on sight. He gives, he, God gives a kill order. You slaughter these folks on sight. They harmed the children of Israel. They harmed my kids. Just like... Uh, just like if you were uh, to go harm uh, some father's children, do you not think that the father would be mad? Do you not think that the father would come down on you with a vengeance? I know if somebody came around beating up my kid, I'd go after that fella. I wouldn't stop until that fella was driven down in six feet underground. But that's what happens. Whole genocide happens. And you know what? It was a rightful genocide. The Amalekites sinned and they committed a sin. And I'm on God's side on this one. If God said that they needed to be wiped out, that was clearly the right thing to do. The Amalekites made their choice. But that entire situation could have been avoided had Esau done what was right. The long-lasting consequences of his sin was pain and suffering, not just for his kids, but for his entire family, the children of Israel. And it could have all been avoided had, had Esau done what was right in the first place. Number two, let's look at the second fella whose sin led directly to Haman in the book of Esther. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 30 through 33. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Literally cut the man to pieces. That must have been very violent to see. But that was the Lord's will. God had commanded Saul that none of the Amalekites should live. Children, women, cattle, everyone goes. Saul was supposed to go on a rigorous campaign to wipe out the Amalekites once and for all. But what does he do? He disobeys God. So number two, we have Saul and the sin of disobedience. Uh, like I said earlier, it's very interesting to go back and actually read the history and the campaign that Saul went on against the Amalekites. This was not, the Bible makes it look like this campaign lasted maybe about a week or so, a very short time. But this campaign actually went on for quite a while. And it's very interesting to read about the tactics, the campaign that Saul went on, and uh, how it finally led to this decisive battle between the children of Israel and the Amalekites. And we see here that Saul had commanded, wipe them all out. That was, the, that was God's order to Saul, wipe them all out, end this once and for all. What they did back in Exodus needs to be avenged. What they did to Moses and to the children of Israel needs to be avenged. Saul tells him, okay, I'm on it. Goes on his campaign, and then there comes a thought in his head. Well, these are some mighty fine-looking cattle. Maybe they shouldn't be destroyed. Maybe I can keep them. 
Well, Agak doesn't have to die. We don't have to kill everybody. We don't have to do everything that the Lord said. We can skirt by on this. And so he disobeys the word of the Lord. He disobeys God's command. He disobeys God. He let Agag live, and clearly some of his descendants. And guess what ends up happening? Those descendants survive all the way up to the time of Esther in Haman himself. Once again, I ask the question, how much of the Old Testament would have been different had Saul done what was right? You know what this sin led to? God had had enough. The kingdom was rent from Saul. And in Saul disobeying the word of the Lord, the command of God, later on, at the end of 1 Samuel, he ends up losing his life. His boys lose their lives, and the Philistines conquer them and mutilate his body and take it back to their homeland. The only one of his descendants to survive is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. You know, he's such a wonderful character in the Bible. Side note, I like reading about Mephibosheth. He's a great character to read. Very humbling, very humbling. But all of that could have been avoided had Saul just done what God told him to do in the first place. Had Saul, com had Saul obeyed the word of the Lord and obeyed what God had said, wiped out the Amalekites, not only would his story be different, but the story of the children of Israel in the book of Esther would have been completely different, would have been completely changed had Saul just done what was right in the first place. That same thing can be said of a lot of Christians nowadays. God commands us to do one thing and we do something completely different and disobey God. Do you not think that God's judgment will come down on us one way or another? The interesting thing about sin and what, what is really the moral of this story here is that we do not know the consequences of our sin in our lives. Our sin will affect us for sure, yes, but it will not just affect us. It will affect those around us, those we love. Our descendants can be affected by this because of our own sorry decisions. Our whole families can be affected by our one sin we commit in our lives. Christian, if you've got a sin in your life, whatever sin you've got, we got to get this clear. we got to get rid of this. we gotta get, we got to get this sin out of our lives. Our country literally burns right now. It's been burning for about a year or so. If the events of the past year and a half have not showed you, Christian, the need for us to get right with God, I don't know what will. There's a lot of stuff in this past year that have that has happened. And God's judgment, I'm convinced, is it's not done yet. Everything going on right now, the world seems crazy. It ain't done yet. It's only going to get worse. But I guarantee you what could help out is if we had some Christians that would repent of their sin, turn around, turn to God, get things right. Friend, we don't, we're, uh, we're now seeing the consequences for sins of the past generations. That sin is now coming home to roost. We're seeing the consequences of, that, of those sins happen. 
And just like the consequences of the sins of Esau and Saul and how they led into Haman and the suffering of the children of Israel and that whole situation in Esther, our sin is going to do the same thing. Our sin will come back. Someone's going to have to pay for it. This is God we're talking about. You don't commit a crime against God and get away free. You're going to have to pay for that. Someone's going to have to pay for that. Friend, we get to choose. But just like how sin bears fruit eventually, I want to point this out. I'm not going to, I, we're close to the end here. I'm not going to end on a gloomy note like that. But just how sin leads to destruction like that, you know what doing the will of God does? You know what obeying God's will does? It leads to righteous fruit. It leads to joy. It leads to peace. God doesn't tell us to do something thinking that we can't do it because we're not able to. We can do it. It's just a matter of whether or not we will. Friend, the will of God, doing God's will, and obeying his word leads to precious fruit. It leads to victory in the Christian life. And that's what we need now more than ever, is some Christians that will sit down and be led to victory in that life. Christian, let's obey God. Let's, let's, not, let's get the sin in our lives out now before judgment comes. Before judgment comes on our lives. Let's end this now. Let's prevent the Hamans of the future by doing God's will and obeying his word today. Let's get rid of those Hamans. Let's end that from happening. We could end our descendants' pain and suffering if we would just get right with God today. Let's do that today. Let's get right with him today. Thank you again for joining us for this uh, Word Wednesday on Lati Talks. I can't wait to uh, be with you guys again this coming Monday. We're going to have a wonderful time together. And thank you very much. I pray that uh, I pray that you witness to somebody today. Be Get right with God today. Get whatever sin is in your life. Kick it out. Ask God, hey, search my soul. If there be any wicked way in me, if there be any wickedness in me at all, show me. I'm going to start an inquisition on sin in my life. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to get it out. I pray that God uses you all today and that you have a great and wonderful day. Thank you for joining us again, and God bless you.